0: Evan, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Uh we've been wanting to talk to you for a while. In fact, we had this scheduled at one point, and I think it was actually my fault that it got rescheduled, so my apologies. No I apologized on air uh for, for that. Um we were talking a little bit before we went live, just like the grind of this thing. Like to run for Senate, statewide race, federal office, um, and what that's what's that been like? I mean, what 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 led you to like, I'm gonna do that? I just think our our
1: politics in America are broken. I mean, the, the, the politics of division and extremism have really taken over and it shouldn't be that way. Most Utahns, most Americans don't fall within the extremes on either end of the political spectrum. And most Utahns and most Americans have far more in common on even the most divisive issues facing our country. Than they, than they do in, in difference, or at least more in common than they think they have. And so uh, I think we're really at a crossroads as a country, and I know people say that every election cycle, and it sounds sort of like a political campaign year trope, uh, but it really isn't. I think we have gotten to the, the place in our country where you know, we're gonna decide whether we're still committed to a system of self-government. to our, We have a democratic republic here and you know, defined by a constitution, et cetera and we have people in the country who want to tear that down and want to try something new and openly talk about uh you know are needing a strong man rather than a system of self-government and how that uh, will be better than what we have now and help us solve problems that we can't solve in our current system and i just disagree you know i served in the cia for over 11 years and lived in countries controlled by dictators and authoritarian regimes they don't solve anything i mean they put right. themselves first and not the interest of the people so I think it's a time for most Utahns, the majority of Utahns, majority of Americans who aren't represented by the extremes in our politics to stand up, for, form new coalitions, and help move past this, this period of, of such chaos and instability in our country.
0: You mentioned the CIA, and, and it seems like the CIA, FBI, and a lot of institutions in this country are losing credibility, whether rightly or wrongly, Right. And maybe that's not even the right word, just like it seems like there's a general distrust in our institutions, unlike I've ever seen in my lifetime. Um, What is your take on that? Is that a good thing for America? Like how did did they regain trust outside of like, you know, we'll talk about Trump and Lee and all that type of stuff. But why do you think they've started to lose trust? Because they used to be the folks that we all kind of look to as like uh, strong institutions.
1: Yeah, I I think it's you know, you're really, you're right. And and the data make very clear that what you're saying is the, the truth that Americans are losing faith in all kinds of institutions. I mean, whether it's, you know, Congress or media or, or religion, frankly, I mean, yeah. on and on and on, uh, they're losing faith. And I think it has something to do, at least in government, because that's, that's, you know, that's my purpose here is to change that piece of it. But I think we just have too many people in government, uh, even those and especially those who are elected to, to office, to federal office, who have come to put their own interests first or the interests of partisan tribes first. And when that happens, we lose out as a people. I think back to George Washington's farewell speech and he warned against the spirit of parties and how at some point that might overpower people's commitment to our system of government and to the interests of the country. And that could present a threat to the future of the republic. And and I think we 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 live in those days now, and we're living it. And and that's what we've got to change. That's why, for example, I'm refusing to take any PAC or special interest group money as a part of this campaign. And while I'm declaring my independence from the extremist factions and party bosses, et cetera, because we have to get back to putting people first. And I think if we do that then it will increase trust and increase our ability to, to, uh, provide, you know, collectively all of us together as Americans, uh, for a, a better future for our country. And I think you could draw parallels to, you know, uh, other, uh, sectors in our society, whether it's, you know, religion or mm-hmm. it's, uh, you know, media, for example,
0: corporations, all of them, large are corporations. Yeah.
1: yeah. If they, you know, if people are putting themselves first, if it's, you know, rather than, you know, and, and some of that's good. Don't get me wrong. I mean, our, our system is designed to leverage the idea that people will pursue personal interest and to check that so it doesn't get out of control. But the reality is, if we're going to live in a free country, we're never going to have enough checks to prevent people from, uh, from starting to serve their own interests beyond what is healthy for the country, certainly beyond what is healthy for the country in the government context. So we depend on people Acting with goodwill to some degree, even as they do pursue to some degree also their self interest. But that's out of balance right now, at least in government, where people are just all in on, you know, look, I've got to do this so I can stay in office. I have to say this thing I don't actually believe so I can hold on to power. I've got to, you know, overturn an election because it didn't go well for my side. And that, I think, that kind of attitude where you're putting yourself and your tribe. Uh, above the interests of the country overall is, is certainly what leads people not to trust government or people in government
0: and which is not like a new phenomenon i mean january 6th is a new phenomenon we've never seen anything like that but um i mean hillary clinton said the election was stolen from her in 2016 right like this is a pretty like disturbing pattern that we're seeing like the loser doesn't say that they lost right it's like you know, we lost, but be, we lost because of Russia, which was the thing, and in, in 2016 and in 2020. I don't even know what the thing is, right? But like, uh, like uh, you know, how do we gain trust? Like, if we don't have trust in elections, then like it seems like the whole system breaks down. Oh, absolutely. You right? Like, I'm not even sure. Yeah. And I, I think I, I know it's really easy, and we'll get to Trump. I promise. Um, we don't have to. Yeah. And, <laughs> well, right. we kind of have to. Up
1: to you. Up to you.
0: But um. Yeah. I, I know it's really easy to blame one man and, and kind of one party on this, but it does seem like, and, and nobody's ever taken, I want to be clear, I've never seen anything like what happened in 2020. And like this idea, like he still says he, he won and all that type of stuff. Um, but Hillary Clinton also was saying, like she conceded, but then she, you know, there's tons of clips out there of her saying like, the election was stolen, Why won, all this type of stuff. Stacey Abrams in Georgia, same thing, right? This isn't a strictly partisan one-party issue, this whole idea. So how do we um, bring election integrity back?
1: Well, I think it's important for all of us to parse out, you know, which of those claims, if any, have validity. I mean, yeah. look, elections in the world do get stolen, and there are also people who claim that the election was stolen from them when it's not true yeah, yeah and this is part of the challenge, right but that that's why you know we need to exercise our our intellect and our discernment and and to study facts and to use reason to discern okay what claim is real and what claim is not real what does you know what does the data say what do the facts say and then mm-hmm. use reason to to analyze it uh, I, I think we have to get down to that level because, uh, we are, as you point as you point out, in a place now in our politics where people are losing confidence in our system of self-government. I mean, it's really, you know, you hear people now say, look, you know, and I've heard people, by the way, on the far left and the far right say this, that democracy, you know, our democratic republic, our republic, whatever you, however you want to call it, even that is partisan now. Mm-hmm. But we all know what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. The system where we elect our leaders yeah. and when we vote them out, yeah. they go, you know. Um, People are losing confidence in that, and and if we're not able to shore that up, I, I agree with you that that it will destabilize the whole country. But now we have people on the far left and the far right saying, "Look, democracy is just failing on delivering solutions." Yeah, and we've got all these mounting challenges: you know, inflation, climate-related issues, uh, an exploding national debt, uh, healthcare costs that are way too high etc. We don't solve these problems anymore, but a strong man could. That's mm-hmm. where we're getting. I mean, that's where the conversation is going now. And and again, I've had conversations with people on the far left and the far right where these kinds of things are said. And we have got that, you know, we, we cannot go down that road. It is a dark road. I've lived it overseas. It's a terrible way to go. What we need to do is ensure that our system is functioning properly and for that to to be the case i think we need to make reforms absolutely they're badly needed but to throw the entire thing out and take on a new form of government that puts one person and a small cadre of sycophants around them in power would be a gross mistake now we're not on the doorstep of that yet right but increasingly there's there's momentum behind this idea in america that maybe our current system just isn't the right one Not that we need to reform it and change it, which is where I am, uh, but we need to we need to abandon it and have something else.
0: Yeah. I mean, you hear like these calls like uh, we should expand the Supreme Court, kind of stack the Supreme Court. I mean, it's like at every branch there's there's these types of discussions. Right. Uh, Do you think things have gotten better under Biden since Trump left?
1: I think we remain a very divided country and we continue to fail to overcome major challenges. I mean, that's, that's where we are. And I, that's sort of something I've been saying now for, for years, mm-hmm. which is why I've run as a, an independent now two times. Uh, I don't think the parties are rising to the, challenge that, the challenges that we face in the country. Uh, I I think that we have to get back to our core ideals, that we're all all created free and equal, and therefore we have a system of self-government in which we elect our leaders. And there is such a thing as objective truth and reason matters. And we need to just go back to those basics. And I don't, frankly, now see it happening in, in either party. You know, I've, I've been a registered independent for most of my adult life, but on the Republican side. And mm-hmm. I became the chief policy director for the House Republicans in 2015 and 16. And before that, served as a national security advisor in Congress on uh, for Republicans. Uh, but I don't feel at home now in the Republican Party. It's going in a direction I can't support, but I'm also not a Democrat. And so, like many people, you end up feeling a bit politically homeless. But where I do find my home is by going back to to those core principles that our country was founded upon. Yes, we haven't lived up to them perfectly. I get it. But they are core truths, I think, that we're created free and equal. Those are truths about who we are as human beings, and government needs to be re-centered and aligned with those truths, and also our deepest human human purpose, which in my view is to pursue happiness or joy, and government yeah. needs to be aligned with those things, and I think both parties are failing to get us there, which is why I run as an
0: independent. Yeah, what do you think of, uh, on the national security front, the, the Afghanistan pullout the decisions that have been made around Ukraine, Russia, it just it just seems. And it's, by the way, the whole country agrees with you that like Biden's approval rating is as low as Trump's was. Right. Like it does seem like it is like, you know, nobody's way excited about either party currently. Right. Um, what do you think about those two things, though? It seems like that's hurting his approval rating and the mood in the country more than anything.
1: Well, pullouts are never easy. In fact, they're almost always messy. This one in Afghanistan was far messier than it needed to be. I mean, it was a total disaster. And, and I also question uh, the strategy as well. I'm somebody who thinks we spent way too much time in Afghanistan, and our goals were way out of step with reality. We were never going to make Afghanistan into a kind of America during any kind of reasonable horizon, yet we stayed there for 20 years and spent a ton of money. Uh, I, I think we ha- we should have had much more modest goals, and and I do think it is still important that we deny Afghanistan as a safe haven to terrorist groups. And the fact that Ayman Zawahiri was uh, was just killed by by U.S. intelligence recently, and it's been a few months now, but in a residential area in the capital of of, of Afghanistan in Kabul tells me that they do feel some confidence in reconstituting themselves now in Afghanistan, Al Qaeda does. Mm. So, uh, you know, I I think we have to take that very seriously. We, you know, I don't want to see us go in big to Afghanistan again. I think we need to find new ways to prevent Al Qaeda and other terrorist groups from operating freely there. Uh, And hopefully we can do it. But, but I, I question uh, whether it was right to to do an absolute withdrawal of even special forces and intelligence that could have helped us you know prevent uh you know major al-qaeda plots from developing inside afghanistan i, I you know i question the wisdom of that uh, as far as or as far as uh ukraine is is concerned I actually think both parties have gotten that wrong for a long time. But mm-hmm. I do think our our support now for the Ukrainians and for their fight against Russia is important. Mm-hmm. And the, the the criticism I have is that we were just too slow to get there. And if we had done more to strengthen Ukraine much earlier, I think that would have changed the calculus for Putin. And, and he may not have decided to escalate his invasion, which actually started in 2014, mm-hmm. but has you know escalated over the past year, of course, dramatically. But I think if we had gotten there early and done, done more to support, we could have prevented that. That could have helped us on the inflation side. We could have av- avoided a lot of energy inflation and other inflation as a result. And we could have saved, most, imp- most importantly, of course, a lot of lives that way. Now I don't want to see us go in there with our own troops. I've also been, uh, you know, uh, cautious and been opposed to a no-fly zone uh, that we would police mm-hmm. at this point, because I think it, it the risks are too great that we would end up in a direct shooting war with Russia that we wouldn't be able to control, and it could spin out of control very quickly. It could escalate in a way that we wouldn't be able to to uh, to control. So. Um, so I'm for providing military, intelligence, humanitarian, and economic support to the Ukrainians so they can fight this fight and so that we hopefully stop Russia and Ukraine and we don't see them go further. Because if we don't stop them in Ukraine by helping the Ukrainians fight this fight, Putin will go further. He, he's, he's proven his belligerence and his ambitions. They go well beyond Ukraine. And if we don't stop him there, we'll we'll see a further destabilized Europe and and uh, a more dangerous world for all of us.
0: Do you buy the argument that if we would just would have said, okay, Ukraine won't join NATO, that he would have stopped? He wouldn't have done this?
1: No, because Putin believes in, in the reestablishment of the Soviet Union yeah. uh, in some form. And so that's his big ambition. I mean, he's a former KGB officer, so he still has these grand ideas of what russia should be and what russia still is and he's still trying to marry the reality of his you know mexico-sized economy with his ambitions and 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 so even if we i think had said all right you know ukraine will not join nato i i think actually that may have even provoked him further uh so it's a tough it's tough i i understand You know how someone might have concerns uh, if if a Russian leader might have concerns about that of course Uh, but for Putin I think it's much more than just hey we don't want NATO on our doorstep I think it's about this grander vision for what Russia should be what he believes Russia still is he doesn't look at Ukraine and say this is a sovereign independent nation he thinks this is a nation that is part of Russia but has been misbehaving and gone rogue, and we need to bring it back in. It belongs to us. Right. So I, I, that's why I think I believe in peace through strength. And when I look at Taiwan, it's the same situation. Let's learn lessons from Ukraine and, and our experience there, and let's not be too late like we were there. Uh, if we, you know, if, we, if we help Taiwan strengthen itself early enough, we can change the calculus for Xi Jinping, who, like Putin, wants to remain in power forever. And if these military uh, adventures don't go well for them, that can threaten their hold on power. And so we need to make sure that Taiwan is a harder target than I believe it is right now. But again, you know, let's help them fight this fight. Let's let's avoid having to get involved ourselves.
0: Let's pivot to Utah. Uh, What do you how do you view the future of Utah? I mean, this state has changed dramatically even over the past decade. For a lot of people, they see like we're in Lehigh, kind of the heart of Silicon Slopes right now doing this podcast. This used to be all farm fields. This used to be a completely different landscape. It's changed uh, dramatically. Um, tech community played a big role in that. Population growth played playing a big role in that. Um, wh- what do you think like our challenges are and what do you think the future of Utah could be?
1: What I see for Utah is a, a tremendous opportunity to to help lead the country. And, and I see that in, in government, and we can come back to that, but I also see that in industry, in technology. I, I, the the country is really struggling right now for a variety of reasons. Meanwhile, we have one of the fastest growing economies, one of the fastest growing populations. Of course, that is, has a lot to do with the, the growth of the tech industry here. And a lot of challenges are coming around as a result of that. So we, now we have to overcome the challenges created by those successes, mm-hmm. which is, you know, a high class problem to have. Although those challenges are very serious, whether it's housing costs or air quality, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if 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 our if the tech industry isn't growing here in Utah, we'll grow somewhere else. And I don't think we want to pass up just a tremendous opportunity we have here for leadership on that front either. So my, my view is that we've, that, that this state uh, for a variety of reasons, is a special place, and that America needs Utah's leadership now. And and I see that politically. I, I think, you know, we have a, a kind of politics here where we come together to solve problems. Even you take two groups that are, you know, definitely very different, have different interests and even values. Here in Utah, we find a way to, to come together and to solve problems. It's not perfect, but we find a way forward. I think that has a lot to do with our history as a state you know when my ancestors first came here in the mid-1800s when they showed up here it was it was a tough place to to settle and live and it's still a a tough place and i mean it's still a harsh environment though breathtakingly beautiful and uh and they knew they had to work together to solve problems and i think and they did and they did and if you read the early histories of utah you know, they talk about the rugged individualism of the West, and they talk about how that existed here in Utah. But that there was also a sense of community that people were really committed to, and that still informs the way we the way we live here in Utah. And I think we still have to live this way in the country. The rest of the country is not, and so that's why I think you know we have something to offer the rest of the country. And I think you can you see that uh, you can see that in business and in government. And that's certainly what we're trying to do with this race. What I'm trying to do, um, but I also again see it in our growing technology industry that, you know, we've we you know more and more talent is is coming to Utah. More and more capital. We're having, people are having very successful exits. They're interested in reinvesting that money in in Utah. You know, I was speaking with a donor the other day, a, a major donor, mm-hmm. uh, who who said, "Hey, let me know." If, uh, if you have any recommendations of businesses in Utah, I should invest in. We're always looking for Utah businesses to invest in. Yeah. And I said, well, you know, noted, I'll keep that in mind. Uh, but you know, there's a reason for that. I think people understand around the country that, that Utah is a different and special place. And we need to make sure that we live up to that. I think it's important for us to make sure that Utah is an inclusive state, a welcoming state, uh, where our uh, our leaders our tech leaders and our other business leaders can hire new talent to come in uh, where we have opportunities for Utahs born and raised here like like us um, but but I I see us as a state sitting in a, in a place where we can help the country grow and thrive and get past all this division and extremism
0: yeah how do you think governor Cox is doing?
1: I, th- I think he's been, for the most part, a, uh, a force for unity and, uh, and constructive government, you know. And I, I think, you know, we need, we need more of that. And I, I think we see it in other leaders, too. But I, I think he has, you know, been a voice of reason when we've seen, uh, you know, extremist actions taken by, you know, one side or the other. And we need that kind of leadership. And I think we need that kind of leadership at all levels. I mean, there's all the, the extremes, especially in our system now, are always going to be a challenge. And right now, I think they have an outsized voice in our politics. And we need leaders who are going to always listen to everyone, but, but find the sensible, uh, constructive way forward on issues. And I think he's largely done that. And, and I applaud it.
0: How do we manage the growth? Like, it really is a problem. And like you said, they are success problems. Like, we would have loved to have this problem in 2010, right, around like, oh, we got to figure out what to do with rising housing costs. We got to figure out what to do with air quality, all this type of stuff. Like, they they are problems that come with success, but nonetheless, they are problems. That's right. And uh, some of them are, uh, I find, like, really difficult to solve, like rising housing prices, air quality, water all of these types of things that are kind of top of mind for a lot of Utah's. And if you look at Silicon Valley, um, if you don't work in tech in Silicon Valley, you no longer live in Silicon Valley. You've kind yeah. of been priced out. And we do have to be careful as a state to avoid those pitfalls. Mm-hmm. I don't think, I mean, I'm saying this like I run the organization called Silicon Slopes. Mm-hmm. I don't think we want uh, to use Silicon Valley as a model right? right, right, (laughs) Of like good governance and how to handle this type of thing. We need to forge a different path but I'm not sure that there's been like a pretty comprehensive or at least like agreeable solution to most Utahns on like how to do that.
1: Yeah well I what I would like to do is ensure that when we talk about silicon slopes that it extends beyond Still so beyond the Wasatch Front. Yeah, all of Utah. Yeah, sure. All of Utah. I mean, if yeah. you go to rural counties, as we do on the campaign, I mean, we've been to every county in the state multiple times, even ones where there aren't a lot of people at all. But but I've made a point of that because I think it's important. Uh, but sometimes, and, and I love these places, but sometimes you feel as though you're you're going back in time. Right. When you look at the infrastructure, when you look at the opportunities they have or don't have. And, and, you know, we've got this tremendous growth and so much happening on the Wasatch front. I want to see that expand beyond the Wasatch front. And what does that take? You know, and I, you know, I won't pretend to have all the answers, but I think part of it is infrastructure development. We need to make sure that, you know, uh, that the broadband, which is very good, actually, in some mm-hmm. rural communities in Utah, but I think we can strengthen it and make sure that that's, you know, more you know, universally true that, that rural communities have excellent access to the Internet and, and at speeds that allow them to, to, to work, to work in technology. Yeah. And, uh, but also other kinds of investments, you know, having quality schools in these places, uh, ensuring that there's medical care, even, you know, clinic level medical care. You know, these kinds of investments allow more people who might work for a company here on the Wasatch Front to live, you know, further away without having to make a killer commute every day and they can work remotely and, and frankly, they could work for companies outside of Utah outside of America, even Mm -hmm. if they have that kind of connectivity. And I think that the pandemic has helped us realize that, you know, we can work this way, you know, we can work remotely efficiently. I know other people have different opinions about that. It's complicated, but my view is that we've learned how to do that more efficiently so as far as so that's i I think if if we focus on expanding that opportunity it takes pressure off on the housing side it also takes pressure off uh you know off the air quality issue on the wasatch front water is more difficult you know rural communities are struggling with that even more than the wasatch front is in in many places and so on that front, I think as a state, really as a country, the, the whole West, but certainly as a state, you know, we need to improve our conservation practices and infrastructure. And that's going to take major investment. I've been pleased to see that, uh, that the Congress has approved a $10 million budget to study what we need to do to save the Great Salt Lake, which is essential. Mm-hmm. Uh, I look forward to seeing the results of that. And we're going to, it's going to be a heavy, heavy investment an infrastructure investment, but we're also going to have to have some tough conversations about how we use the water resources that we do have. And then I think we do have to respond to the broader climate challenge. And, you know, I I was raised by a conservationist, a mountaineer, Mm -hmm. you know, a a Republican conservationist who my father, who believed that, you know, it was important to uh, protect the environment. I remember seeing him in the garage 30 years ago separating the trash into piles, not knowing what he was doing, but believing he had gone mad, Yeah, uh, but he wasn't. He was ahead of his time, and and I, I think we have to take seriously this responsibility of stewardship for the environment.
0: When it comes to rural Utah, I get asked this question a lot too, and we go out there, we have chapters and things like that, like how do you extend Silicon Slopes outside of the Wasatch Front? And we've done that to some extent to like, you know, Ogden has a strong community, Logan has a strong community, uh, St. George, fastest growing metropolitan in like the entire country, Right. Like uh, St. George is doing incredible, but there's tons of water issues there. Yeah. But you, you said something there that I think is really interesting. It's kind of like going back in time, and I think that's what's beautiful about some of these places. It is. Like that's like a – they're like, yeah, we want that. We don't want, you know, what we're seeing in Lehigh or any of that type of thing. And it's always like, you know, the, the questions and, and the things that get pitched to me from like government officials is like, well, just have like one of these companies – set up a satellite office down there. Not that easy. Right? right. It's like, so that doesn't do yeah. anything. And yeah. by the way, they're not going to. We need to be like honest. They're not going to do that. That's not like like just imagine not in like, the near term. Imagine yeah. if even if they did do that, mm-hmm. if if there's public markets go a certain way, their business starts going like what's the first office that gets close? It's that satellite office in like Fairview. I just don't see that happening. I think what we need to do is like Make them feel as though they're part of all of Utah. It's not a separate thing, right? Like, they're part of this. Like, what you do to grow that is community, foster entrepreneurship, foster opportunity, like you were mentioning. Mm -hmm. Because, like, if you look about that's the history of Utah. Even the history of Utah Tech, one of the biggest tech companies to come out of this state over the past 15 years is Pluralsight. Mm -hmm. You went up – when he started Pluralsight in 2002, 2003, you wouldn't – you would feel like you were going back in time then, right? Like, it was – Farmington, it was lagoon, that's just about it. It's just farmland yeah. and stuff, right? So we've done this before in the state and what it takes is like the fostering of entrepreneurship, the fostering of connections. But that even that's easier said than done, right?
1: Well, it it certainly will take time, there's no doubt about it. But but when I say, you know, when you you go into rural communities in Utah, and you feel like you're going back in time. You know, some of that you're right is what people like. Frankly, I like it. Yeah, you know, I would I would rather live, you know, as remote as possible. For sure. Um, I live near here actually, <laughs> but but I would rather live as far away How's as your possible. How's your commute? How's your commute? <laughs> Into this <for> the podcast, <laughs> it was nothing. It was great. in Those 10 minutes. But um but 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 there're also some not so good ways, you know, where, where there just is an opportunity or they're trying to hold on to cold job that the cold jobs that are disappearing and and they're desperate to You know, for opportunity. So I agree with you. I think it doesn't happen quickly, but as you point out with Plural Site, eventually there's there's a you know development reaches a point where somebody's like uh, you know a a, a, you know a company says we can extend this far out and Mm -hmm. this will work. You know we we can get we can build a a site here and we can still get talent here and this can still work. Uh, But I think in the near term. In my opinion, it's about you know, making investments in, in infrastructure like broadband, but also ensuring that there's medical care and good schools mm-hmm. for kids. And that creates an opportunity for people to work remotely. So you don't have to relocate a company headquarters yeah. to Nephi, you know, or even to Carbon County. You know, right. It's, you can, have people, you can have people working there, they're making money, they're spending in the local economy. And the more people who do that, the more talent there is in these places. And that lays the groundwork for maybe a decade from now. I get it, it takes time. All of a the sudden there's enough critical mass for something to get started. And and maybe those people who are there meeting together, getting together, maybe they start something themselves. But it you know, it takes time and investment, but but I think that should be our shared goal in Utah is to expand this opportunity.
0: Yeah, I like the idea. You have to start with the basics, right? It has yeah. to be somewhere you want to live, and you can get all the resources you need to raise a family, to live there, and all that type of stuff. I, I think that's smart. Let's talk about this guy you're running against. Okay. Mike Lee. Uh, why why take on Mike Lee?
1: Well, Mike Lee, uh, I... I believe has become a poster child for the politics of division and extremism in our country, and and that's just not who we are as Utahns. Was and, it
0: the Moroni stuff? Is that what well? The... That's
1: certainly. I mean, that that was certainly uh, a, a shocking and false portrayal. In comparison, I think we all, for those who who didn't see it uh, in, in October of twenty twenty. Senator Lee uh, was on stage with with Trump campaigning to an audience of members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And he compared Trump to a revered figure in the Book of Mormon, Captain Moroni, who's honest and brave and wise and all the things. And look, people have all kinds of opinions about Donald Trump. Plenty of people in Utah voted for Trump, whether they liked him or not, because they wanted a Republican in office, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It's complicated. I get it. Everybody has their opinion. Mm-hmm. But most people do not look at Donald Trump and say this is a man of high moral character. They don't say this is a man who should be compared to Captain Moroni. So I, I think that what's you know what was shocking about that was that you know Senator Lee took something that is precious to 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 many Utahns and exploited it for his own personal political gain. And and what I hear from people is that whether you're members of the you're a member of the church or not, whether you're a Republican or Democrat that was something that shouldn't have happened. And I think there's a broader concern that Senator Lee takes things that are precious to us, whether it's our constitution or our elections, and exploits them for his own personal gain. You know, I think another reason why I'm running against him is that he was at the center of of the effort to overturn our last election. Now, I know what it's like to lose an election, it's no fun. We all experience that as voters. You know, it's no fun, but that's the way our system works. There's something much bigger at stake that is the health of our democracy, the health of our democratic republic. And in order for it to be healthy, we have to have elections that that are free and fair and that uh, we have to respect the outcomes of those elections, even actually especially when we don't like them. And Senator Lee urged uh, Trump's allies to to find fake electors that would overturn the election. He called them alternative slates of electors. Uh, And that was, I believe, an egregious betrayal of the Constitution, which he swore an oath to uphold and defend. And for a state like ours that was founded by people who sacrificed greatly, including my ancestors and Senator Lee's ancestors, for a state like ours to have someone like him representing us who would so easily betray those generations of sacrifices because uh, they wanted their political tribe to hold on to power, political power, at the expense of the country and our future is just absolutely unacceptable. But I do think our politics are just broken in general. I think Lee has catered to the extremes. You know, I'm worried about the extremes on both ends of the political spectrum. And this just ain't Utah. It just isn't and i know that we can help lead the country forward but we're gonna have to make a change on this front and it's it's you know through you know fighting division and 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 lies with with truth and unity and that's what this campaign is about and and that's why this is now a dead heat
0: it's interesting too because lee at the republican convention in 2016 like tried to stop trump from getting the nomination right like because he was a big ted cruz supporter and he eventually came around and, and um, is obviously now uh, one of Trump's uh, favorite senators and, and that type of thing, which is an interesting you you have like an interesting balance. You have to in order to win this thing. Right. Because um, there's probably the majority of the state would probably still vote for Trump, don't you think? Or am I wrong about that? Uh, I mean, you're on the road more than I am, so you yeah, have a sense
1: yeah. For that. Well, look, according, according to our polling, uh, Trump and Biden are both polling in the high 30s. Oh, I see. So we're we're not fans of either here. I think. I yeah. think. I think most Utahns realize that you know neither side is getting it done. And and that's you know that's the opportunity for change. But but you're right about Senator Lee and about his background. I mean, look, you you know, he campaigned against Trump on the floor of the Republican National Committee,
0: supported Ted Cruz, supported Ted
1: Cruz, but also knew that Trump was dangerous. And and uh, you know, Senator Lee and I spoke during that time, and I knew he he was as concerned as I was about what what Trump might do to the Constitution. And neither of us were supporting Hillary Clinton but we also knew that Trump was a danger to the Constitution. And in fact, Senator Lee on election day in 2016 voted for me and was public about it. Uh, but then as Trump won and took power, Senator Lee very quickly changed. And I, I think this is an example of what, we, what we've what spoken about earlier, which is people putting their own interests and their own ambitions ahead of the interests of the people. And that's what I think happened there. I think Senator Lee understood that more political opportunity uh, was there for him if he got on board with Trump and if he became very loyal to Trump. Uh, And so that's what he did. Now, I talked to people in Utah. I just spoke to a fellow uh, about a month ago here, here in in Lehigh, actually, just, just up the road a little bit. And he was telling me that he voted for Trump twice, but he he didn't like Trump, but he held his nose and voted for him because he wanted a Republican, wanted Republican politics. Well, it's a
0: choice, right? That's what's interesting yeah. about elections. It, it is a choice. It's, it's not like choice. everyone's picking, right. like, this is the very best man. It's right. like you're picking between in 2016, you're picking between him or Hillary, except for here in Utah and a couple other states, we also got to vote for you. Right. Um, Or you're picking between Trump and Biden. In 2020, it was one of two, basically. You got to pick between
1: two. But what this guy told me was very interesting. He said, look, I, you know, I voted for Trump twice, you know, didn't love him, but did it because of these policies X, Y and Z. Uh, But Lee got too close to Trump. And that's why I can't support him anymore. And that's what a lot of people outside of Utah don't get it. They say, well, Utah's You know a trump state and i said i tell them no it is not it's far more complicated than that we're neither a republican nor a democratic state we are a state that i think is still committed to our core values and committed to our system of self-government most of us and look many of us made tough decisions in in recent elections i i have too i haven't liked my choices either i haven't liked the options i've been given either which is why in part i didn't what i did in 2016. Um, but for him to say that, I, th- I think a lot of there, are, and we know because we see the data, there are a lot of Utahns like that who, you know, um, you know yes, they voted for Trump. They were never Trump supporters. Mm-hmm. And they're upset with Lee because he didn't do his constitutional duty. If you're elected to Congress, you should work with whoever's in the White House. And if I were elected, I would work with whoever's there to do good things for mm-hmm. Utah and the country. But at the same time, your job is to hold them accountable. And you've got to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. You have to do those two things. Mm-hmm. Work with people to do good things and hold them accountable. That's your job. It's not just become a sycophant for whoever's in the White House because that's what offers the most opportunity for you. Maybe it's a Supreme Court nomination. Maybe it's a donation or whatever it is. You know, that's not the job. And that is a corruption of the system. And I think that's where Lee went. I think he just lost his way. He did not, in the end, have the medal to withstand the pressures of Washington in that environment, and and we need leaders who have that.
0: Who did you vote for in 2020? I don't know if I know that.
1: Well, I I voted for Joe Biden because I couldn't vote for Donald Trump, and uh, I just didn't think that he you know was a an, a moral example that I could I could offer to my you know to 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 my family or to to you know my friends and say this is this is who i'm supporting now obviously you know that's not uh, that wasn't my ideal uh, choice i would have rather uh, you know have voted for mitt romney and right. still hope that he'll run again but but i couldn't support donald trump and 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 i'm deeply concerned that neither party is giving us options for Utahns that, that we're going to be excited about supporting. And that's why I think we've gotta make the change ourselves.
0: What about like in 2024, who would you hope that these two parties put up?
1: Uh, I would love to see Mitt Romney run for president again as a Republican on the Democratic side. Uh, uh, I thought less about that, but I would love to see on both sides, leaders who are capable and interested in bringing people together. So a Democrat who can win Republican votes and a Republican who can win Democratic votes. That's what I would like to see. That's a healthier kind of politics. We've gotten away from that now. Now mm. everybody just talks to their own side, and then it's its a game of who can turn out the most, uh, you know, and who can turn out the most voters on their side, and, and that's the contest. That's not the way it has been in the past. You know, it used to be that you'd get through the primary, and then you try to appeal to a broader set of voters. We just don't typically do that anymore. But I have to say, Clint, what I'm excited about in this campaign is that as we go around the state doing these events, so people host what we call meet and greets, right? So we're in their homes, we're in their backyards, we're in their local parks, et mm-hmm. cetera. When people show up to our events, to a McMullen campaign event, they know that they are showing up to a political event that is going to be widely attended by members of the opposing party or parties. So if you Republicans showing up knowing that there will be Democrats there and independents and members of the United Utah Party and and you know and vice versa and, I, and and it occurred to me you know a few weeks ago just how special that is where else in American politics are there regular is there a campaign or regular political events where people in, in a campaign as a part of a campaign where people are showing up knowing they're attending an event with members of the opposing party. I don't think it's happening anywhere else in the country, but it should. And that's another that's what I'm talking about, you know, when I talk about Utah leading the way forward in the political realm, that's what I'm talking about. We have a different way of doing things here. It's a healthier kind of politics when we're our best selves. That is what that is what's special here and I think we need to take that to the rest of the country.
0: I'm always fascinated by folks like yourself who make the decision and the sacrifice, because I really do think it is a sacrifice to jump in the arena and to get, like, you know you're going to get attacked. Your family's going to get attacked. Um, even, like, what was it? You had, like, this crazy driver or something who, like, ran you up, Like, not even just, like, attacked, like, uh, personally or, like, on Twitter or normal campaigns, but, you know, you're you're putting uh, some real things at risk, which which is crazy. One of the things I, I want to ask you, because one of the things I think that the, the other side or your opponent and, and kind of their group... Is pushing is around like this Roe v. Wade stuff. In 2016, you said I'm more pro-life than Donald Trump. Um, you were you were for I b- I believe overturning Roe v. Wade in in 2016. Correct me if I'm wrong there. And Trump came in and appointed three justices that did manage to overturn Roe v. Wade just recently. And as I understand it, your position there has changed. Is that right? My position hasn't changed. I'm
1: I'm still pro-life. I, in 2016, I was the chief policy director for the House Republicans, yeah. so I was coming from the trenches of the partisan yeah. fight,
0: and this has been a fight. Not to cut you off yeah. for the, in the conservative movement for Republicans for decades. Yeah, decades they've been trying to do this.
1: Yeah, well, well, that's true. But but I you know I came from that that partisan fight in 2016. I mean, I looked at Trump and knew that he was a danger. I believe, a danger to the Republican. I had good reasons for that, and. And I, and frankly, especially after January sixth, I'm pretty confident I was right. Uh, but also, I wasn't a Democrat and wasn't going to wasn't going to be voting for Secretary Clinton. And so, you know, I came uh, out of that experience, launched a, a modest presidential campaign for three months. At the end, when I and other Republicans who were concerned about Trump failed to recruit a more significant person, and I wanted to represent principled conservatives and Republicans because I knew that they otherwise didn't have a choice in the election. And I wanted to give them an option that they could, that, that, that they could stand for. I wanted to represent them. Um, but after that, I, since then, I've realized that our partisanship and the divisions in our politics are tearing our country apart, and they are threatening our future. It has gotten to the point now where really the future of our country, the future of America, is threatened by how divided we are now. We're not solving tr- problems. We're we're becoming weaker. Foreign major foreign authoritarians realize it, and they become more aggressive. They're grabbing land. They're grabbing resources, and they and our intellectual property. I mean, we are at risk right now. It is a it, and we have got to come together to solve major challenges and to strengthen the country, or we're going to lose it. I mean, if people who think America is is infinite and will always have you know, this This will always have freedom in America, they're wrong. I've right. seen that fail overseas. It can fail here. So since then, I've realized that we have to come together to solve problems, and I just don't see that happening. On this issue in particular, abortion and reproductive rights, the extremes on this just exploit this issue and tear, tear the country apart, turn Americans against each other, and I'm trying to find a more productive way forward on this issue. You know, I, I think what we see happening around the country where... States are passing laws that would force a 10-year-old rape victim to carry a pregnancy to term. It's awful, and it's wrong. Or other extremist laws. Now we're talking about banning contraception of all things. I think it's crazy. Right. What the data say, that, that the, the clear answer to this, the clear answer to overcoming the core challenge, which is unwanted pregnancies and women finding themselves in impossible situations, is actually increasing access to contraception and it's doing more to support women, children and families. For me, you know, as a pro-life Utahn, you know that is the answer. It is not a never-ending tug of war over the law that is going to tear the country apart and create a public health crisis for women and children around the country. It is addressing the core issue. And this coalition that we're building that we formed here in Utah is committed to finding a more constructive way forward and standing up to the extremes on this issue. And that is what we are doing.
0: One of the other sides say, I hear what you're saying, and, and I think a lot of people agree with you. One of the other sides say um, that's what overturning Roe v. Wade did, was it brought this issue and this decision back to the states, and the states should be making this decision, not the federal government. Or are you saying like the federal government should have a role in this decision?
1: I'm saying that in this environment, with how divided we are, with the extremes poised to pass crazy laws yeah. around the country that, again, are going to, you know, prevent people from traveling or force a rape victim to carry a pregnancy to term, right. et cetera, In this divided state of our country, uh, I'm not so sure that, that overturning Roe was the most constructive way forward on this issue. Now, uh, you know, I again, I think that the way to solve this issue, because right now each party is going to fight over the law. That's going to go on. That's going to go on forever unless we unless we address the underlying issue, which is, again, unwanted pregnancies and women and children being in impossible situations. And, And if we address those issues, the abortion rate in America declines. And so when we've done more on those fronts. And by the way, for years, the abortion rate in America had declined because we were doing more on those fronts. And, you know, over the course of the last four or three to four years, the abortion rate in America increased because we withdrew access to contraception, did less to support women, children, and families. And and that is the wrong approach. And so, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find a way now in 2016 or now versus 2016, I have a much greater recognition for the danger that political polarization and extremism presents to our country. And I'm trying to find a more constructive way forward on this issue, but also on many other issues. I mean, that's what my campaign is about. It's about finding a more constructive way forward. You know, we could talk about a range of other issues where I would, you know, give you, you know, similar thoughts, but this is the, the, the the most difficult one because frankly it is of course, it's hard to imagine a more important issue. Than an issue relating to the creation of, of life and to the sustaining of life that, it, that is outside of the womb as well. I mean, that's, I mean, can you imagine what would be a more complicated, mm-hmm. a more difficult, and a more important issue than that? It's hard for me to do that. It's hard for me to imagine an issue that would be more important. So it's difficult, but there is a sensible way forward that doesn't require us to tear the country apart.
0: This issue also highlighted something that, um, if you're elected to the Senate, you will be a part of, which is this process of like nominating Supreme Court justices and appointing them to the bench. The president nominates them, the Senate confirms, as, as you know. Um, and there is calls to expand the Supreme Court, right? To uh, kind of they call it like stacking the Supreme Court, however you want to like phrase it. Um, are you okay with nine? Do you think that we stick with nine? I think we need to.
1: I think if we start adding numbers to the Supreme Court, it just never ends. We will never see the end of it. I've lived in countries, again, where people have done that. I lived in a particular country where there was a military coup, and once the, the dictator came to power, he stacked the court, and that was the end of the court because the court was stacked with his allies over whom he had tremendous leverage. That's why he put them there, and that was the end of it. So if we start stacking the court here, uh, what we're going to find in America is that every time a new party comes to power, they add their own people to the court so that the ratio is in their favor. And we just cannot have that. We will, the, the court will lose all legitimacy. We will lose the rule of law in America. And that's it. That's the end of the republic. So, so we you know people who are calling for adding numbers to the court, I think, are very short-sighted and, and really don't understand... It, what they're asking for. I think it would be very destructive.
0: How did you get the Democrats, and I ask you this, but um, maybe just more broadly, to not nominate someone and rally their support uh, around you? Someone who is not a Democrat, right, and isn't independent. Um, how, did, how did that all come about? Look, I
1: think that you know i campaign on our our ideals as a country i campaign that we're created free i campaign that we're of equal value and therefore we have a system of self-government a democracy and we have elections and a constitution and all of these things are worth protecting and that we need to protect them now and that's a powerful message it's a unifying message that is you know and i'll I'll open the strategy book right here that's the strategy i talk about these things democrats come republicans come independents, united utah party third party types they join the effort. You know, people think, oh, that's political pablum. You're just talking about our ideals, it doesn't mean anything. No, it means a lot. Our strength as a country is primarily sourced from those ideals. When we abandon those ideals, Abraham Lincoln talked about this. When we abandon our ideals, our country weakens, it divides against itself, and even its future is is, is a question. It's jeopardized. And so that's what I campaign on. I think we need to go back to the back to basics as a country. And that's why I campaign on those things. And when I do, we see our coalition grow. And that was my message to Democrats. It's my message to Republicans. It's my message to everybody. And, and that is what convinces them. Now, of course, you know Democrats already don't like Mike Lee and want to replace him, um, but that's not enough. You know, We have to build a coalition based on something positive in our own vision. And my vision is recommitting to those core ideals, strengthening our system of self-government, and finding common ground to solve problems. I mean, Clint, in every aspect of our lives, whether it's at home with our, our families, whether it's at work, whether it's, you know, you name it, in every element of our lives, we know that the more constructive way to conduct ourselves is to find common ground to solve problems, and we do it. We do it all the time. But in politics, somehow we've, we don't do that anymore. And it's crazy, the idea that a country of 330 million people is somehow going to be able to govern itself if we all say it's my way or the highway. I mean, speaking about Senator Lee, for example, you know, the Senate has passed a slate of bipartisan bills recently. Uh, Mitch McConnell voted for five of them. Mitt Romney voted for three of them. Mike Lee was one of only a few senators who voted no on every single one. If Mike Lee sees a bill that he agrees with 95% of its content but disagrees with 5% of it, he'll vote no because of that 5%. And Utah suffers as a result, but also the bigger picture is we can't govern ourselves like that. If you can get three-fourths of a loaf, you got to take it. And that's what's good for Utah, that's what's good for the country. Um, but that's what my campaign is about, and that's how we've been able to build a cross-partisan coalition.
0: I'm not, I could talk to you forever, so I'll, I'll wrap it up with, with two final questions. One of the more interesting arguments for your campaign is you won't caucus with either party, a- and you've committed to that. How does that actually work? Like, I, it, that's happened before, right? Like maybe Bernie Sanders did that for a second, and then he caucused with the Democrats. Is it does it happen that often? Uh, it hasn't. It hasn't
1: happened since the nineteen fifties. Really, that there's that there's been a true independent in the Senate. I believe it's it's been quite some time. I think it's been since the maybe
0: 19th. Bernie just said he was independent, but he always caucused with. The uh, Democrats. As far as
1: I know, he was always caucusing with yeah. Democrats, but I don't really know. Yeah. I mean, perhaps there was a brief time where he didn't. I, I don't really know the arrangement there. But but uh, as far as I can tell, I believe it's been it's been over fifty years since there was a true independent in the Senate. But you know, some people say you you know well you know may, you know maybe it doesn't work. Then well, I say what's happening now doesn't work. I mean you know, our, our, you know, Congress is, is broken. What is, you know, aside recently from this, there's been a cross partisan group in the Senate that's been working together and passing bills. And that's, that's great. Uh, you know, there's been some partisan bills in legislating as well, but, but what I'm more encouraged by is this bipartisan group that's actually doing things that make sense and, and that help our country with inflation and other challenges we're facing. Um, but Senator Lee isn't a part of that group. We have one senator and Senator Romney who's a part of that group, but Senator Lee is not. And, and I know that if we win this race, and we are now, and I think your listeners uh, will soon see, maybe they'll see by the time this podcast hits the air, they will see that this is a very, very, very tight race, a neck-and-neck neck race, that we have a real opportunity to win. We, we may very well win this race. And if we do, it will make Utah, and specifically this coalition that we're building, the most influential in the nation. It will mean that Utah is the most influential state in the union. And with that, I believe we will do a tremendous amount of good in, for ourselves, but also for the country. I mean, no one, when they're writing a bill, Clint, and when somebody, if you were sitting in the Senate writing a bill that had a chance of passing, you know, nobody doing that stops and says, I wonder what Mike Lee thinks about this bill. It just never happens. And the reason it never happens is because they already know he's going to vote no. He'll sit on his hands until it's time to vote no, and then he'll go complain about it on cable news. Senator Romney takes a different approach. Every single week, you hear that Senator Romney's in the room negotiating a better deal for Utah, for our interests here, and for the country, finding common ground with Democrats and other Republicans. We need two senators who will do that. And if we have two senators doing that, it will. It gives us the opportunity as a state to to push back against the, against our broken politics and to change them for the better. And we're a small state, you know. We're we're you know just over three million people, but we can change the country for the better. And we are poised to do it. And we can do it through this race.
0: My final question is around the polarization of this country. I mean, I've never in my lifetime, and just. As a somewhat of a student of history, never heard the word civil war thrown out as much as I have heard uh, recently. And the division is so crazy. What can one person do? What can one senator do to really um, change that, tone it down? And like they're, they're both extremes are very loud. And, and I think they are very loud because maybe they don't feel like they're being heard. Right. What can one senator do to avoid the worst possible thing I can think of?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've been troubled by that as well. And, you know, you're seeing, you know, Harvard did some polling. I think it's probably a year old now. Uh, But things have gotten worse then, not better, uh, in which young voters, uh, a a shocking number of young voters believe it was, you know, possible or expected to see a civil war in America during their lifetime. I don't think we're there, but we're certainly – moving we're down. Yeah, we're we're inching trying. There. We're, we're inching, inching there. So I, I just, we, we can't let that happen. What can a senator do? First of all, yes, I think it's important for, for senators or for anyone in elected office to listen to everybody. And I'm committed to doing that. You know, sometimes ideas are, you know, it was once an extreme idea to end slavery, for example. So I'm, I don't mean to suggest that There are no good ideas that come from current extremes in politics, Mm -hmm. and that's why you should always be mining everywhere for good ideas. Um, But I think there are more bad ideas on the extremes than there are good ideas, Mm -hmm. but I'm still, I've got an open door. Um, But what can one senator do? What one senator can do is show the entire country where there is common ground on the challenges we face. And what one senator can do is stand up to the extremes that would do damage to our country for some, uh, for, for, for some terrible reason. There's no good reason to do damage to our country, of course. Um, but one senator can do that. I mean, this Senate is perfectly divided right now. I don't know how it will be after this election, but it will still be closely divided. And in, a, in the Senate like that, we've all learned over the last couple of years that the senators who are willing to act with greater independence to represent their constituents, willing to say no to party bosses, willing to say no to the special interests and to the extremist factions and just do what makes sense for their, their voters and for their country, for our country, they have more influence in the Senate and I would say in Washington than anyone else. And so one senator in this kind of Senate, this kind of closely divided Senate, can have a tremendous impact. And if we have two senators who take that approach, which I believe if we win, I think we will. I think, well, Senator Romney and me will take a similar approach. And, and again, you know, the, the possibilities for us to change our politics for, a better, for, for the better in, in our country are, are tremendous. They really are. And I don't think we have to guess about it. You look at the senators now who have the most influence in that chamber. It is those who are acting with greater independence, as I say. And and certainly if we win this one, it will we will be the prototypical example of an independent in the Senate. And that will, will yield a tremendous opportunity. So that, that's what excites me. That's why I'm in this race.
0: Evan, thanks so much for coming on. Good luck on the campaign trail. Man, we could talk for another hour about everything that's going on. Yeah, uh, Maybe we'll have you back. But uh, you got an election to win, so best of yeah, luck.
1: Yeah, well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure, and I look forward to coming back. Likewise.